Ephesians 4, we'll get started. Maybe we'll have come back and finish, Lord willing, next week. We're on our series, uh, What's New With You? New Year. We talked about new creation so far, a new name, a new song, and tonight a new self. A new self, or as I put on the board, a new humanity. You'll see what I mean when we read the text. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, it's the word literally in Greek, man, which I believe is talking about Adam, um, created after, I'm sorry, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to be put on the new self, the new man, I would say the new Adam, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We'll look at more than those verses in this text, but that's the crux of it for sure. A long time ago, uh, singer Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song. You may have heard it, especially if you're around my age. I asked Lawrence if he'd heard it. He said he'd heard of it, and then he listened to it, and he goes, yeah, I was only 10, so no. Um... But the the name of the song is The Change. Listen to the words. Well, I got my t-shirt that says what I believe. I got letters on my bracelet to serve as my ID. I got the necklace and the keychain and almost everything a good Christian needs. I got the little Bible magnets on my refrigerator door, a welcome mat to bless you when you walk across my floor. I got a Jesus bumper sticker and an outline of a fish stuck on my car. And even though this stuff's all well and good, I cannot help but ask, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing I'm undergoing the change? He says, you know what? There's a lot of cultural things that people mark you as a Christian. If you had this on your car, this bumper sticker, you had this, you had this. He says, you know what, those are all good stuff maybe. He goes, but I got to ask myself, there's got to be more to it. What about the change? I'm asking you tonight in the brief time we have, would you ask yourself that? Ask yourself. You may have a lot of things that he talked about in those lists, but what about the change? Listen to this. The song finishes this way. Well, I've got this way of thinking that comes so naturally, first Adam, where I believe the whole world is revolving around me. And I got this way of living that I have to die to every single day. Because if God's spirit lives inside of me, I'm going to live differently. What about the change? See what he says? It's not all the things on your car, your bumper, or your refrigerator. Or you know what the difference is? That if Christ lives in you, the Spirit's in you, you're going to live differently. So he wants to know Ephesians. He wants to know Colossians. He wants to know Faith Baptist Church. Do you? Do you have the Spirit? Or here's how you know. Do you live differently? If you take the time, and you should, Read all of Paul's epistles. You'll find that almost every letter he has, no matter who he's writing to, no matter where it is, he talks about the necessity 
of having a real change in your life if you've truly been saved. Almost every time. Romans 5 and 6 says there are two Adams. You know that, right? There's the old Adam. He, he, he goes through that whole thing and then he says, here's how you know. Because you used to be a slave to sin and now you're a slave to righteousness. See the change? It's not just that you made some confession or you said a prayer or some, some magical words. He says there's been a change. It's like you have a new master. Romans, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He says, homosexuals, drunkards, adulterers, and so, such were some of you. You used to be that. He's, but the, see, but now, but now you're completely different, he says. And Corinth was a very wicked place. Galatians 5, 24. And those who have crucified the affections and lusts with its desires and passions. See, if you're a Christian, it's not that Jesus died, only you died. You've been crucified, so you don't have the same desires and passions you used to. You have new ones. In our text, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, 8 through 10, those are parallel texts, and we're going to look at them. But see, if you're truly saved, there will be a change, a new self, a new humanity. When I was growing up, little kid, really little, they taught us a song. It's a chorus. Believe me, you're okay. I'm not going to sing it. Um, it goes, I sing a new song since Jesus came. Serve a new master, wear a new name, walk a new road, have a new goal, know a new peace down deep in my soul. That caught my attention when I was a kid. But all the times about the, you know what I learned early on? That new life means a lot of new things. A new road, a new name, a new goal, a new peace, a new name. Everything's new. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what change is. So let me start out with this. Salvation is not just or even primarily a change of your destiny. It is. And I say this tongue-in-cheek. Unfortunately, in some of our circles, that that's about all you hear about it. That salvation is primarily about your change from hell to heaven. And it is, praise God, who would ever underestimate that? But can I tell you, that is not the Bible's emphasis. The emphasis is that this, you have eternal life and it starts now. And the first and foremost change is not destiny, but desires and deeds now, not later. So eternal life starts now. So I made up a phrase, and I wanted you to try to remember it. I hope it helps you. I wrote down, if, you pres- if your present life with God is no different than your past life with God, then you have no future with God. Let me say it again. If your present life with God or in God is no different than your past life without God, you have no future with God. In other words, you can't say you know him if there's never been a change. There has to be a change. And Paul talks about it. So here's the part, and we're only going to be able to do this part. So if you're writing notes, get ready, because this will give you cramps probably. All right, I'm going to show you in Ephesians and Colossians all the things, and you may have read these books before and may not have seen any of this. Maybe you have, and I hope so. That'd be great. But I want to show you all of the grammatical change language that he talks about because I want you to see that it's not just a passing concept or thought with him. It is one of the main things he talks about. So let me show you the examples through these two books that in many ways, at least in these parts, are parallel I'm going to give you a word, and then I'm going to show you how it's used and how it means you have to change. The word, first one is walk. 
Ready? Ephesians 2, turn back a page. I'm actually going to point them out to you. Circle them, write them down, whatever you want to do. He talks about famous passage, chapter 2 and verse 2. The word walked, in which you once walked. And that's another key word. We're going to do that in a second. But this previous before and after picture, once, see, in the past. This is how you used to be. You once walked. In other words, you had a lifestyle before you got saved, and this is what it was like. You followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says it again in another way. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived. See how he says it? You once. You used to be this, and it always is followed by the conjunction but. Before, once, but, after. You know what that means? Change. You used to walk this way. He does it again. You can read it for yourself. Chapter 2 and verse 2. And then at the end, he says, now after you get saved, let me show you the difference. You used to walk this way, but verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he's not just saying, hey, saved people have change this, their destiny. No, it happens when your destiny is changed, so does everything else. You walk differently. By the way, everyone knows Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should both. But you know the salvation package is not over until you read verse 10. It's not just what he saved you from, it's what he saved you for. Both of those are necessary. If all you have is a saved from, but not a saved for, you're in trouble. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, you are changed for good works. That you would walk differently than you used to walk. Change, that's what it's all about. Again, we're not doing them all. 4.1 and 4.17. Another bracket about how your walk is different. Again, chapter 2 Verse 11, it says, I'm sorry, 4, 1 and 4, 17. Hold off on that. That was next time. I'm sorry, 4, 1 and 4, 17. I got it right. And then chapter 2 and verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, once you were Gentiles, called uncircumcision, and it says some more. Remember that you were at one time, or at that time, once. He says, but verse 13, but now. Once. Once, but now. You used to be, now you're not. Chapter 5 and verse 8. If you'll look at that one real quick. For at one time, or once you were darkness, here's the phrase again, but now you are light in the... So walk this way. You used to be this, now you're this, and that should change the way you walk. You see the difference in what he's doing there and how he makes it obvious to us? He uses walk again in 5.2, 5.8, 5.15. Five different times he talks in the latter half of the book about since you are this in Christ and you have this in the heavenly places, you will be different. You can answer the question, what about the change? Because you have one. Let me show you the other ones. In fact, before I go to Colossians, let me show you the difference in how stark the changes be. He says, you once were dead, but now you're alive. Chapter 2 of Ephesians. That's the change. It's, the change is like this. This is what it looks like. It looks like someone who is dead and now they're alive. That's how different they are. 
The second one was in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 11 and 13. You once were without Christ, and now you have him. It's like a life that had nothing to do with Jesus, and now a life that has everything to do with Jesus. That's how stark and radical the change is. Once you were far off, Ephesians 2, it says, 11, you were away from God. There's a big difference. Now you are close up. See the opposites? Once you were in darkness, now you are light. He couldn't say it any more distinctly. It's complete polar extremes. That's what it is. That's how it happens in the life of someone who's truly a believer. Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at it some more. Colossians chapter 1 and verses 21 and 22. Same grammatic formula. Grammatical formula. 21. And you who once passed... There it is. You were alienated, hostile in your thinking, and you did bad things. So you thought wrong things, you did wrong things, because you were alienated. But notice how, here's the formula again. And he has now, verse 22. See, this is what you were, but now it's completely different. You are completely a different person. Chapter 3, in verses 7 and 8, Colossians And these you two once walked. See, this is how you once lived your life. He says, when you were living in them, but see the, but now, verse 8, over and over again. And by the way, not the only times Paul uses this formula. I just chose Ephesians and Colossians. There are some in Hebrews. There is one in 1 Peter. There is one in Titus and numerous other places because almost in every epistle, he wants to show this, that there is a past that you have, a pre-Christ life and a post-Christ life, and they are radically different. I have talked to so many people, and I know their life because I've been around them their whole life. There is no difference between what they were before Christ and quote-unquote after. There is no difference. They don't talk any different. They don't act any different. They had no different morality, no different priorities, no different hungers or thirst or desires. There is no difference. The Bible knows nothing about that as true Christianity. None. Another term, write it down. So we have walk once, but now, and then no longer. No longer. Let me go back to Ephesians with you, chapter 2 and verse 19. I hope you're getting the idea that Paul is serious about this. So then, because you have access to the Spirit, the Father, he says, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But here's again, but you're not that anymore, but you're this. You are citizens, saints, and members of the household of God. So you're not this anymore. You are this. This is who you are. These are identity markers. Colossians chapter 3, I'm sorry, Ephesians, I'm on the wrong one. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. In other words, we used to be children tossed around. We used to believe everything that came down the pike, every doctrine, we fell for it all. But not any longer because we've been changed. Chapter 4 and verse 17 Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. You can't do that anymore. That's not how you walk. You have a complete, you used to do all of those things and he lists some of them. Morally, sexually, and otherwise. But that's not how, no longer do you do that. 428. Let the thief no longer steal. You used to have different ethics, 
different morals, different views of sexuality, different ways to think, what you did, what you wanted. It's all been changed. Everything has been changed. Paul's theology of change is an event when you get saved, but it's also a process. There is, can I say it tonight? There is a divine aspect to it, and there is a human aspect to it. Please hear me of these things. The Bible looks at this. When you, are cha- you have been changed by God, that's the beginning of the, event, the first event and the beginning of the process, and at the end, in final glorification, you will have been changed by God completely. In between those two changes that are completely God is the change called sanctification. Can I tell you the very encouraging part? Because he lives inside of you and he is transforming you, here's what it means. No matter where you are in your Christian life tonight, you can change. You can change. You do not, and I'm going to say it stronger, and you should not, be captivated and dominated by sin. All of us still are to some degree because we live in this fleshly body and we still struggle with sin and we will until the final change, the full change has been completed in us. So I can tell you, you have been changed, you will be changed and in between, you can change, listen, and you must change. Change for a Christian is not the cherry on top. It's not. It is necessity. Not because we work our way to heaven, not because we earn it by doing good things. But the Spirit of God, he says, if it lives in you, you will change. Listen to Paul in Romans 8. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if you don't conquer sin and you don't live higher or better or power over it, it is a sign that you are dead spiritually. We have been taught in theology, and I know you've heard this before. See, Jesus has given us the victory over what? The penalty of sin. He died on the, we're not going to go to hell. He has given us the, someday he'll give us the victory over the presence of sin because we won't be sinful anymore when we are glorified in God's holy presence. But the one that's in the middle, we also know, but it gets the least amount of time. It's not just the penalty of sin we've conquered. It's not just the presence of sin we will conquer. But in the middle it says, and you've also dominated or you are also power of sin. You've also, that should be no issue for you either. Not because you're sinless, but it cannot dominate you. You're not a slave to it anymore. I would ask this, where is that? Where is that? There has to be in a before and after. Have you ever seen those commercials on TV where they tell you this, their product is better than everybody else, and if you do this, it'll change your life. And so they have, and sometimes they do it with cleaning agents. You know, they, this towel's dirty. There are two of them, and then they show you, oh, this is a little better with this detergent or whatever it is. But this one, look how great and clean. This is way better than the other ones. Or they tell you, oh, yeah, you know what? You want to change your and get in shape, and you have to try this diet program. And they tell you, see, look at so-and-so, and they'll show you pictures. Well, she used to be this, and now look at her, you know, or look at him. You know, Look how in shape they are and how much they, imagine. Imagine if someone come up and say, hey, try our product. This is the, this thing, will, it's awesome. And they show you the picture before and they show you the picture after and they're no different. 
What would you say to that diet? What kind of diet is that? The before and after are exactly the same. You say, that's a joke. This doesn't clean this, my towels, any better than this one does, right? Get an exercise. If you get this new exercise machine, I'm telling you, you get this thing, and I've done each this exercise thing for a month, and I don't look any different than I did before I got the exercise machine. You'd say, Pastor Walker, that's ridiculous. Isn't it, though? God tells you, I have a salvation. It'll change your life, everything about it. But isn't it funny that some people would say, well, I don't do any different than I used to do. This is before I got Jesus, and this is after I got Jesus. And you're going like, really? People people who know you would say, who would want that? I've already got that. The last word, formally. Formally. Paul says, you know my testimony formally. I used to be a blasphemer. I used to persecute people, Galatians 1, 13 through 15, Galatians 4, and verses 2 through 9, 1 Timothy 1, 13, Jim preached in that text, Philippians 1, 11, Ephesians, 1 Peter 4, 1, 16, 1, 4 through 16, 14 through 16, 2 Peter 1, 8 through 11. Can I tell see, it's all over. He says, this is what I formerly was. I formerly was this way. I used to do this. Do you see the point he's making? You can't go already anywhere in the New Testament. And he's saying, let me tell you what it is to be changed. What about the difference? I'm going to close. Got a couple minutes left. I'm going to go to the end of my notes. Um, I read a book recently by David Brooks. And the title of it is called The Road to Character. And I want you to listen to him and what he says, and I'm going to apply it to what I've been teaching you tonight. He said, recently I've been thinking about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are the one you list on your resume, the skills that you bring to the job market and that contribute to external success. The eulogy virtues are deeper. They're the virtues that get talked about at your funeral the ones that exist at the core of your being, namely, whether you're kind, brave, honest, faithful, the kinds of relationships that you formed. Hear what he says. Most of us would say that eulogy virtues are more important than resume virtues. But I'll have to admit, he says, and confess that for long stretches of my life, I've spent more time thinking about the latter than the former. In other words, I thought way more about and planned way more about my strategy about what my resume would be like than what people would say about me at my funeral. He says, our educational system is certainly orientated around resume virtues more than eulogy ones. And he goes on to talk about how our kids are learning that it's what you bring to the table and the resume that you build and the college degree that you get and all the things that make you success and they're learning nothing about anything that shapes their core he says and then the stinger I called it most of us have clear strategies for how to achieve career success than we do for how to develop a profound character He says, you know what's true about a lot of people and perhaps some of God's people? 
we spend way more time strategizing, preparing for, planning for, spending money on how our kids will be externally successful in this world while everything on the inside is null and void. We have little to none strategy for that. He says, so tell me, which one really matters? Resume virtues or eulogy ones? I would tell you and ask you tonight, do you have a clear strategy for how to be a good Christian? Do you have a clear strategy for how someone changes? I hope that no one here tonight would say, I'm good, Pastor Walker. I don't really need to change. I really need to talk to you if that's true. We all need to change. But isn't it crazy that we have no strategy for it? You know what Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 is? Colossians 3, 8 through 10. You know what it is? It's Paul's strategy purposely in how you can change. Next week, we're going to talk about it. Do you know it? Do you experience it? Are you the same Christian you were this time last year? Two years ago? Five years ago? Are you changing? Are you still changing? If not, why not? Maybe because you're not, val- you're not really valuing that more than a resume change. What scares me probably maybe even more than that is that we're raising a generation of kids who don't even know if they have a core and what it would be like to change. Ephesians 4, 22-24 is going to tell us how important it is to change, how needed it is, necessity to change, and that there is eternal ramifications about it and how we can do it every single day. We need it. We need it. I hope at least tonight you got that. Let's pray. Father, help us. We're on a road. (laughs) David Brooks would say it's the road to character. The road we're on as Christians is far better than that, far greater than that. We're on the road to Christ. That's the goal. I mean, we barely touched it tonight. Paul says, leading into our three verses, he says, but you did not so learn Christ because you know what we're changing into? Your son. We're changing into be like your son. We need to learn Christ. We need to learn the patterns of his cross, cruciform ways. We need to learn the patterns of how he sees people and what matters to him and how we use, we use our time and our money and what we invest in and what we teach our kids that are the most important things in this world and things that are not. Oh God, we need to know who we are and who we are not. And if we don't know these things, we are not changing. Oh God, have mercy on us. Please, May at Faith Baptist Church, may our church be filled with people who truly know Christ and they are undergoing the change. By your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.